you know, it wasn't, uh, I mean, there's a first time for everything. Away in the manger, clicking my fingers. I had never, never done that before. And uh, it got me to thinking that when I was a child, this was really an advanced stability. It took me quite a while to be able to do this. So kind of nice to apply it at Christmas. Um, I also used to play the harmonica. That was kind of a mean harmonica that we just heard there. I was looking around for the uh, who was on the mouthpiece, uh, the organ, but anyway. Good morning. Merry Christmas to you. We are in uh, another sobering saying about Jesus, and we're in Luke chapter 1, and our sobering saying is in verse 42. In verse 42, Elizabeth exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. I hope you were with us last Sunday. We were building this morning on what is known as the Annunciation. The Annunciation is the announcement of the angel Gabriel to Mary that Mary has a significant role in God's plan, his divine design, his plan of redemption for the whole world. And here, in this passage, um, Mary will go to visit Elizabeth after the angel has departed. She travels to Judea, the hill country, and uh, she enters the home of Zechariah and Elizabeth, and at her greeting, Elizabeth replies with the saying that, Blessed are you among women and the fruit of your womb. I've been reflecting on this. I hope you've been reflecting on the Christmas story as we approach Christmas. Another Advent Sunday. Next Sunday will be the fourth Advent Sunday as we get ready for Christmas. I was reflecting on what some great men of faith have written and I turn to Martin Luther, and then Martin Luther, uh, in his reflection, turned to Bernard of Clairvaux. And these two men uh, had something to say about the announcement of the angel Gabriel to Mary and the announcement of God to her and her faith. In fact, Martin Luther, and that's not Martin Luther King. Uh, Martin Luther King was named after Martin Luther. Martin Luther was a 16th century pastor. That puts him in the 1500s. Uh, he was a 16th century pastor. He was a reformer. Uh, the Protestant movement is often attributed to, or much attributed to, the work of Luther, which began on All Hallows' Eve when he posted his 95 Thesis on the doors of Wittenberg and protested. Uh, that began the Protestant movement 
uh, some of the teachings of the Catholic Church on the basis of Scripture. Well, Martin Luther loved to preach on the Christmas story, and he turned to Bernard of Clairvaux, who was a 12th century French monk. Martin Luther was German. Bernard, who became Saint Bernard, No, he didn't go to the dogs. He was elevated. This is sainthood. Saint Bernard was a French monk and wrote on Christmas as well. And Luther quoted him, saying that there are three miracles to be seen in this story, in this event, which we looked at last week and this week. One, that God and mankind should be joined in this child. Two, that a mother should remain a virgin. And three, that Mary should have such faith as to believe that this mystery would be accomplished in her. Wow, that's pretty good company if you think about it. Three miracles that all of humankind and God should be joined in the birth of this child. That is what we call the incarnation, the God-man, the God-human. Second, that a mother should remain a virgin, that this should be what we call an immaculate birth. In other words, no human father, but the Holy Spirit came upon her as um, the angel Gabriel, the angel of the Lord, announced to her. That's pretty good company. And Bernard perceptively adds the last, that is, that Mary should have such faith as to believe that this mystery would be accomplished in her. He adds, the last is not the least of the three. Luther reflects further. He says, the virgin birth is a mere trifle for God. So he's meditating on this, and he thinks to... Do the mechanics of a virgin birth for God is not a problem. This is the creator of the universe. So that's not the greatest miracle. He adds that God should become man. That is the incarnation. That God, fully God, should also be fully man in Jesus He says, that's a greater miracle. And he says, most amazing. In fact, in contrast, most amazing of all is that this maiden should credit the announcement. The word credit, even from French through Latin, means to believe. That she should believe the announcement. Now, 
that kind of pushes us a little bit. I mean, the others just seem so far beyond us to rank, to list Mary believing that God is going to work these mysterious and most marvelous acts for the salvation and redemption of all mankind, that he should be going to do that in and through her, that she should believe that, and that should be ranked with the first two, that kind of pushes us a bit. And I'd like to just say quickly, just because it's, it's worthy of a message or two or three on its own, just those first two points, because I'm going to focus on the third this morning. I want to talk about faith. I want to talk about the faith of Mary. I want to talk about your faith and my faith. What, what's that all about? And if her faith can be ranked that high, obviously, because she's involved, involved in such mighty things, by favor, by grace, Mary, don't be afraid. You are favored before God. But still, she had to participate. She had to say yes to God. And I can't even begin to wonder, although I can draw upon my own experience, because I've had times when I felt God spoke to me, and I ignored him. I said, that's preposterous. God wouldn't be asking me to do that. And the more I rationalized it, the more I explained it away, and then, poof, it didn't happen. And I've often wondered if Mary had said no. Poof. <laughs> oh, one of those daydreams. But she didn't. She took God out of his word. She said yes to God. But before we focus on that, I would like us to just take a moment and ponder the necessity of the incarnation. Ponder the necessity of the virgin birth. Ponder the necessity of God working in just this way. Were there not other options? Because if there aren't, then there's something to be seen here that's very meaningful to our understanding of salvation, very meaningful to our relationship with God, very meaningful to the faith that we exercise each and every day when we turn to God and we operate with an attitude of yes and trust and belief. I think the redemptive plan is glimpsed. You know, we get, a, we get our kind of superficial human perspective at a glance. It really requires reflection and meditation. I mean, but I think it helps if we just work backward. I think we can summarize it or get a better grasp of it. Just let's work backward because where we are is we're waiting for the return of the Lord, right? 
And so to work backward means we begin with the exaltation of Jesus Christ when he pours out the Holy Spirit on his people and creates the church essential. His exaltation comes because he has been raised from the dead. He has been raised from the dead because he has been operating with purpose and meaning at the will of God who before the foundation of the world in the secret counsel of his own heart determined that Jesus Christ would be the savior of the world. And so now that he has he has been raised because he has gone to the cross and been buried and raised from the dead. And before he went to the cross was his ministry and in his ministry as we work our way backward we hear his voice his message, his teaching. We see his actions, the way that he cared for people, the kinds of people that he did not exclude. Was there anyone that he did exclude? And we build from all of this just what kind of a special person he is. And then we realize when we go back even further, we get to where we are right now in the narrative time of this message and we realize it's because God's in it in the most fundamental gritty way and could it be otherwise really I mean if you think about it just for a moment what if a a mere human somebody like you What if you, or what if I, sought to reveal the ineffable God? Do you know, how many of you know what ineffable means? A a couple, good. It's a perfect word here because very few know what ineffable means, and what ineffable means is it's beyond words. It's beyond fathoming. So it makes a good word, kind of works, uh, you know, not only what it means or represents, but the word itself is beyond words. But God is ineffable. And how many gypsies and prophets and gurus have there been who have come out of the woodwork or out of the woods and said, listen to me, I'm going to tell you things about God you've never heard before. You can trust me. And who are you? No, that, that's not satisfying. I'm not ready to give my life completely to stuff like that. Are you? Or... Would it be enough if a mere human, someone just like you today, or someone like me, aspired to offer his or her life? I'll give my life for you. Well, that would be very precious. Human life, we value greatly. Greatly. But could... You laying down your life for me or me laying down my life for you, how could that affect your 
redemption, your salvation, how could that affect your life? Unless I willed, you know, I was maybe a billionaire and willed my estate to you before I did it. But the point is, that's not going to be very effective, is it? Or what if a mere human like you or me enlisted to fight the spiritual battles, to go to the front lines of the spiritual battles and face the opponents and angelic adversaries at war and do so on our behalf. Well, a mere human wouldn't be very suited for that. You see, what I'm trying to bring into focus is that when we come here, sometimes we come to the manger. In fact, you know, we talk about (laughs) away in a manger. But there's something really important going on here that only in this way could affect the kind of redemptive work that God has affected and accomplished in the death, resurrection, exaltation of Jesus Christ. Because it is more than just a mere human. And it isn't just another way of doing things. It is in total identification with who we are. And that's important. It's certainly important to me because I know that in my deepest yearnings and darkest doubts, God knows what I'm all about in the most real way because it was Jesus who went to the cross and conquered death and sin for me. No, we need to understand God didn't just raise up a human. He sent his son for God so loved the world to accomplish something that was beyond the, the horizon of human effort. And that's why this is such an amazing thing that we look at this morning. Because such a great work hinged on the faith of a young girl. We forget that Mary was somewhere between 13 and 16 years of age. Obviously reared in a way of life in which they're steeped in uh, the Word of God, the history, the legacy, the traditions of the Word, the life of the religion of Judaism and the worship of God, which may make her a little bit more mature about things in which the angel speaks to her because he draws upon all the great traditions of God's work with his people. But the fact that it hinges on a young woman, and then it hinges on a young woman's willingness because she's married. She's married. Now, that doesn't make sense to us, but in that day and age, when someone was engaged and she was engaged 
So that means she was married. She was called wife of Joseph. Joseph was called husband of Mary. They didn't live under the same roof. They had not had the marriage ceremony, but they had a period, usually of length a year, in which they were engaged and regarded as married. She's married. She's got to be already thinking of the complications involved in this announcement. And then she's got to be aware of the fact that if she consents to this, she's going to encounter pushback from the people in her life. She's going to be viewed as an adulteress. And the child could be viewed as a child that was born out of wedlock. Um, These are pretty serious things she's got away. No wonder if you were with us last week when we looked at the angel's announcement, no wonder she said, how can this be? You see, but... That only helps us to see her faith in a more focused way. Luther said, had she not believed, she could not have conceived. Have you ever thought about times when your faith... I mean, this is, this is one of a kind. It's unparalleled. Mary was a woman, a young woman, a human being just like you and me. Just like us. No different. She wasn't specially endowed. She was favored only because, just like with all God's grace, um, the person who accepts his grace is favored. And grace was extended to Mary in that God asked her to be involved, to operate in and become a part of the drama of salvation, a significant part. But just in principle, have you ever thought that your faith could be strategic, significant, life-changing, because you were willing to believe God. You were willing to trust Him. You were willing to step out in faith. You were willing to take a personal risk, and, and faith involves risk. It really does. It's not... You know, my faith doesn't involve necessarily putting you at risk. It means that I have to step outside of my comfort zone. I have to take personal risk. I have to have kind of a buy-in of what I am choosing to believe and put my life, my words, my thoughts, my decisions on the line with God. If we understand that, we can maybe begin to appreciate 
what's happening here. Let's read these verses together, verses 39 through 45. It'll give us the context in which our sobering saying about Jesus is found. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, note this, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And the only thing I can think of close to that when I try to understand that, and, and the words that Luke, that Luke uses here are really, I mean, we're talking about a really booming exuberance in the way she talks. It all, this is the only place where it says, with a loud cry, that word occurs. So I could only think of my grandma on my dad's side, Ann Venema, and she was six foot, and she was a big lady. I mean, she could move, too, like a panther. But she was big, and she was loud. And when she was excited, everything shook. <laughs> when we would pull up to Grandma's house, because they lived in L.A., and we lived up in North, Northern California, so it was an eight-hour trek in the old 55 Chevy back in the late 50s and early 60s. Um, but when we, when we would get to Grandma's house on Bixler Avenue in Paramount, California, Grandma would come bursting out of the front door, you know, kind of like this. Oh, my stars and garters, or land of Goshen, it's so good to see you, you know, and just swoop us up. And, oh, it was just, and that is kind of, I feel like we have to get close to something like that. This isn't a staid thing. The baby leaps, in other words, kicks and moves. She's filled with the Spirit, and she begins to express these words. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed are you among women. Wow, that's amazing. She's blessed. She's blessed by virtue of the baby that she's carrying, right? Well, the proof of this is in Luke chapter 11. Let's look over at that for just a moment. Luke chapter 11, verses 27 and 20, uh, just 27 for the moment. While Jesus was speaking, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to Jesus, so he's teaching, right? The kingdom of God is. Or he's telling a parable. <laughs> I mean, you've got to visualize this. He's Let's imagine he, Jesus is telling a parable, and this woman just says, blurts out, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. I guess she appreciates Jesus. But she gives credit to his mother. In other words, I'm so glad you came along. 
You are incredibly special. Nobody talks like you. Blessed, blessed is your mother because you bless us. Something on that order, don't you think? But you know what Jesus said to that? And I don't think he denies the blessing that is owed to Mary because of who he is. But notice what he says in verse 28. He says, on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Or some translations say, obey it. It's actually the word to guard. There's a word to guard, which is used here. To guard like prisoners. To guard the fort. To be on guard. In other words, to be vigilant is the notion here. We have a, do you regard that? So, blessed are those who hear the word, of God and, the word of God and regard it. Maybe that helps. In other words, we take it to heart. Kind of maybe like Mary did when she says she treasured these things in her heart. She was mindful of them. Well, what Jesus is saying is it's not that Mary was special. It was that Mary believed God. She took his word to heart. She said yes to God. And Jesus brings out the fact that that is a blessing when you do it too. That's what's most important. Not Mary, but believing the word of God. Taking it to heart. Well, that's exactly what Elizabeth is saying. Look at verse 45. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now she explains, doesn't she? She, she specifies. She says, blessed are you among women and the child in your womb? But notice how she specifies, blessed is she. In fact, this is the first beatitude. That's what it basically is. Blessed indeed is the woman who has believed that what the Lord told her would be accomplished. Blessed is he who believes that what the Lord has told him will be accomplished. Well, this has great ramifications for us. You're blessed if you trust the Lord. You're blessed if you exercise your faith. What is faith? Faith, it's made plain here. Faith is saying yes to God. When I was 19, I received Jesus Christ. Um, it had been a battle. Um, people, I was pretty gloomy. I guess now you'd say I was deeply depressed. Maybe um, clinically, who knows? Back then, we didn't talk like that. You know, you're either with it or you're not. And I wasn't with it. So, one night I'm walking in the dark, just walking, 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 uh, forlorn, dispirited, disenchanted with life, feeling all alone. 
I didn't know that much about the gospel. I'd gone to church. Uh, my, I, you know, I had a wonderful grandmother that sang songs to me about Jesus, did flannel graph. She was a, like a, well, she would teach Sunday school. And so I knew that I believed Jesus was, was I believe he existed. And uh, at the end of this long walk, I asked him to be the Lord of my life. A lot of wrestling I won't explain, but I asked him to be the Lord of my life. And I began that walk uh, many years ago now, many years ago. I began that walk uh, by basically watching the death of my old life and walking into a new life with Jesus Christ. And that began a conversation a daily conversation, a conversation that had to be much more frequent, not just when you get on knees, your knees to pray or you're at church, but throughout the day. And I, I began to walk by faith. And here's how I walk by faith. I, I would just go through my responsibilities in life, like I had a job, so I got to go to my job, Right? I've got to be responsible, but now I'm going to do my job by faith. I'm going to walk into that job. I'm going to do those tasks. I'm going to listen to my boss. I'm going to deal with my coworkers in a way that is sensitive to the presence of Jesus in my life. I'm going to hear his will and his ways. Now, I didn't know a whole lot, but what I know about Jesus what would Jesus do? That's what I want to start doing. And I need to depend on him to do that. I've got to do it by faith. I've got to believe his way more than my old ways. And that's basically the walk of faith, except that it's a walk of love, the kind of love that God demonstrated for me that attracted me to the gospel, that won my heart. That same love God used for me now I had to turn around and share and show and exemplify in the other areas of my life as I walk by faith. You know, it, it, it was at times a rocky uh, road, particularly after a while, not long, I really had some doubts about w whether I was saved. Well, I was plenty saved, but I had these doubts so I started wrestling with this, and of course the wrestling was painful. I went to Scripture. I looked up the word faith, and I found that in Hebrews chapter 11, there are many things said about faith. For example, in the very first verse of Hebrews chapter 11, it says faith is being sure of what we hope for. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. You know, just about anything that God says can raise hope of some kind. You've got to think with me real quick, just for a moment. It, it raises hope of some kind. It raises possibilities, right? It raises prospects. Even Jesus, you know, when he was teaching people who wanted to follow him, and this is in Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 27. 
when Jesus is teaching some of these people that want to follow Jesus, he says to them, if you want to follow me, you have to follow the God, the one true God, my Father, whom I follow. And he says, if you want to follow him, then you've got to quit following everybody else. And to do that, he says, you've got to love your enemies. First thing out of, your mouth, out of his mouth, you've got to love your enemies. Can you do that? I find it very hard. But it, when I believe Jesus, I, when I take that to heart, and I say, that's what I need to do. I have to be loving in his power to people who are unkind, who treat me poorly. Uh, it raises the prospect, doesn't it? Doesn't it raise the hope that if I were to exercise my faith, trust Jesus, step out and utter words of love, exercise actions of love, even in the face of ridicule and unkindness, that God would show up in ways that would bring possible change, maybe reconciliation, maybe friendship. Maybe it wouldn't all happen at once, but it would begin something dynamic, something alive, not something dead, and not something dead and then buried further by ignoring it. And, and maybe if I tried, I would stumble, but I would get up and keep going, and I would learn about loving and learn about trusting and learn about exercising faith. And then I would learn about all that because I would see all of a sudden something happened that wouldn't have happened at all if I did things the same old, same old way I always do it, the way the world kind of teaches me to do it, the way my friends at school taught me to do it, the way I see it acted out on television or on TMZ or whatever. What if I were to do it God's way and things started happening that I could never have imagined? Or what if the person just takes further advantage of me but in the process, God shows up within my soul to fortify me and strengthen me, to build me up as a person in ways I never imagined. And all of a sudden, there's this internal reality with God that I never would have known about if I had never stepped out on faith. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. I hope for those things, don't you? Don't you? If I were in a beauty contest, what would I hope for if I had that one moment to tell the world what I would do if I won? I would bring peace. Wouldn't I want everybody to be at peace? And Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. We are to be peacemakers. Am I always a peacemaker? Do I always desire peace? I'm caught off guard like anyone else. I am grooved with the old man. But I am transformed by the new. The power of 
the Holy Spirit, the words and teachings and actions of Jesus. We are even empowered through the Holy Spirit to do, and we grow in faith as we step out and actually start to do those things. Verse 6 is really interesting, too, of Hebrews 11. In verse 6, it says this, Without faith, it's impossible to please him. And although it doesn't say it, it's like he says, when he says, for the one who approaches God must believe that he exists, it's like he's saying, it's impossible without faith to please God. The first step of faith is that you have to believe he exists. Number one, you have to believe God exists. Do you believe God exists? If you do, then that's the first step to pleasing him. Because to believe he exists is not to ignore him, not to act as though he isn't there, not to give all of your attention to everyone else in the room but God. It's not to ignore Jesus. It's not to ignore his spirit. You see, to believe God exists is to please him through focusing on him, trusting in him, taking his word to heart. And the third verse in chapter 11 is verse 11. 11, 11, you can remember that. And it's really my favorite, and it really transformed me because it, it became so obvious to me what faith is in verse 11. And verse 11 says this, By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. That is the beatitude of Luke chapter 1, verse 45, when Elizabeth says, Blessed are you who believed that what God said he would do made it happen. That's, that's, all, that's all it's about. Jesus says, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Well, the next time somebody curses you, who are you going to believe? Who are you going to go to? Ghostbusters or Jesus? If you go to Jesus, then you bless Sarah considered God faithful, trustworthy, dependable, and took him at his word when he promised that she would conceive. And that is exactly what Mary does. I think I told you once, I don't mean to repeat myself, but I was leaving church during this period when I was struggling. What's faith all about? Trying to get my head around it. I was driving and I came up on a... In, a stoplight intersection and the light was red and I thought if I have enough faith I, I that light will change I'm just going to drive straight through it hold hold your speed John come on show your faith I chickened out 
And for a while, I kind of beat myself up. But see, sometimes that's what we think faith is. Everybody has faith. It's where you put your faith. Where was I putting my faith? I, I was putting my faith in me, my ability to make God change nature or change human affairs to suit my little test. And if that's our notion of religion, we're going to do all kinds of atrocious things in the name of God, but we're going to be powered by our own faith in ourselves, in our own dreams and desires. No, it's about what it, Mary, Mary didn't make this up. She responded to the announcement. Sarah responded to the announcement. What is Jesus asking us to do? Some of the most beautiful things that have ever been written and will never be duplicated because they come from Jesus and there's no one like Jesus and his salvation and redemption and his discipleship of him, there's nothing like it. There's no one like him. And there's no greater cause, purpose, or meaning in life than to follow him, be devoted to him, hear his word and follow him. And that takes faith. It takes you believing it. It it takes taking it to heart and putting it into practice. What is God calling you to put into practice that you're ignoring? If you ignore it, you know, we're coming up on Christmas. How are things in your family? Do you need to be making amends? Hasn't Jesus already spoken to us about this? Isn't this what forgiveness is about? Isn't this what much of his teaching is about? Isn't it time for us to quit waiting on the other person to make things right and for us to take the initiative because we're following Jesus? This is the kind of stuff that Mary did and before her Sarah. It's the kind of stuff that the great heroes of faith did. They trusted God. They said, yes, yes, yes. And they grew. And they became strong. And their souls became impervious to defeat because of their trust in the Lord. Will you stand with me? I'm going to close us in prayer. I want to remind you, um, maybe God's spoken to you. Maybe there's something you need to pray about and you want to uh, ask us to pray with you. I'll be up here along with pastoral staff, elders, um, deacons, their spouses. Um, We invite you to come as God has spoken to you. That's the very first yes of faith is saying, I hear you, Lord. I'm not going to ignore you. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Son, Jesus. Thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the walk of faith. Thank you for our destiny in Christ. Thank you for Christmas, all the joy that is compounded because we know you. We have your spirit that leaps, that causes us in exuberance 
uh, to acknowledge blessed is the child and blessed is the young lady of faith who bore him. And thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, God bless you.